0: This one thing I've just learned in life that if there's something you really want, if there's something that you care about, it's important to you. If you just keep going and persist and don't stop, it might take you weeks or months. It might take you years or even decades to eventually get it. But if you don't stop and you just quietly and persistently keep going eventually, it'll usually yield.
1: Welcome to The Ziggler Show, where we inspire your true performance. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, Today, we're talking about opportunity and having a conversation with Evan Pagan, who just launched his new book called Opportunity. Evan is a guy I met 20 years ago amidst the new real estate marketing program. He was innovating then, and he still is today. A greater level, albeit. He's an entrepreneur and investor who has built over 10 different online brands and businesses to the million dollar level. His businesses are all 100% virtual with no office for over 15 years now. Evan and his family spend more than six months per year traveling and living the virtual lifestyle. When his new book, Opportunity, he explains how opportunity is changing, why it is increasing for all of us, and how to find and create more high quality opportunities for ourselves and our businesses. The book is about how to find and create opportunities in your business and your life. It summarizes 20 years of mindsets, models, and methods for dealing with the explosion of opportunities that are coming our way now and in the future. Well, understanding opportunities at the heart of succeeding as an entrepreneur. And Eben's goal is to help people understand the nature of opportunities so they can find, create, and take advantage of a lot more of it. In their lives. It was a great conversation, right up my alley, of course. And we started off then by getting some of Evan's background too, so you get to know him, including his hippie parents and living in poverty, some of the things that motivated him to do more. We'll dive in right after I give you a couple great resources. Well, here then, I bring you Evan Pagan and a great conversation on harnessing opportunities. Okay, Evan, uh, as we start off here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hit it by putting you on the spot, all right? You and I, I'm sure you have no idea. We have a brief history together. Probably back in 1997, it involved a couple guys. One of them was named Mike Hardwick of the Churchill Mortgage Franchise. The other was uh, Joe Stump. And I think we shared a ride uh, from a San Diego airport to a mastermind of Joe's. But I know you from, from way back then. That's been a while ago. Wow,
0: you know, well, I just I was just hanging out with Joe Stump and a mastermind I did, and funny enough, I just wrote to Mike Hardwick after many years because I was trying to find a reference that so, to something he used to say, and so that's amazing.
1: Interesting, yes, a long, long time ago, and you were uh, you were doing some great opportunities then, and now here you are. Uh, back with more, so you know I, I want to talk about uh opportunity, but with Ziegler inspiring your true performance, and you 're a guy who 's been inspiring people for a long time, and so let 's get personal what 's inspired you most even just recently what 's an inspiring event that 's occurred in the past day week anything
0: you know lately uh it 's been my family you know yeah. my little my wife and my little daughter uh, i 've got a daughter that just turned five and um we had something uh, happen yesterday, actually. I was getting ready to do some interviews about this book, and um, she came in, and she, one of the things that I have my computer stacked on here is a couple of her games, yeah. and she saw one of them, and she started crying because she wanted it, and I got kind of upset at her and whatever, and anyway, we figured it out, and then we made up afterwards, and uh, it just it really inspired me how intelligent and how emotionally intelligent a five-year-old can be, and how caring... And uh, and loving and thoughtful uh, children can be. I didn't think that I was going to have children in my life, and now I've got one, and uh, and she really inspires me.
1: That is uh, absolutely. I there's few things that inspire me as much as my family. I mean, when it comes down to it, that's that's what matters. Well, I, I want to dig in. Yeah, speaking of of me having a little history with you a long time ago. I mean, you have been at this. Uh, for a long time. And now what a great fruition is this book that we're going to talk about, but I want to go back there. I don't know your background. And when we look at that and look at the fruition of today, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, before you became the, the Evan Pagan I'm talking to right now, who's on this new book called opportunity, you started somewhere and i where did, where did your early years, were they supportive or challenging in regards to the success you find yourself in today?
0: You know, I had hippie parents who I was born in New York and they didn't want me to grow up in the city. So they moved to Oregon. They just, they heard it was a good place to move and they were young. They were like 20. So they packed me up when I was a couple of years old and moved out to the woods of Oregon. And I grew up, you know, on government assistance, poor. I didn't know any successful people. I didn't know anyone who even knew anybody that was successful. So I had no role models. I was a long haired rock and roll guitar player. I dropped out of high school when I was in my sophomore year. I got, went to a little community college. I dropped out of that college to go on tour with a rock band. Wow. And after years of being a long-haired rock and roller and, you know, doing kind of manual labor jobs, um, I realized that wasn't going to work. You know, my, my height, I was making $75 a week as a guitar player. Hmm. And uh, and so I got a real estate license when I was 22 because I I just kind of like reasoned people that had, I wanted to have money, you know, $75 a week or, you know, 6 or $10 an hour wasn't, wasn't doing it for me. And I reasoned that people who were rich had either uh, made their money in real estate or they had invested in real estate. So I mm-hmm. thought, okay, I'm going to go learn about real estate and then, you know, figure out how rich people do it. So I got a real estate license and, you know, did horribly in real estate. I sold one and a third homes my first year. Ah. People say, oh, you sell a third of a home and right. your, your real estate broker takes pity on you and lets you help her with one of hers. Right. And I made like way less money than I was making at my manual labor job and like giving guitar lessons um and i discovered that i need to learn sales and marketing and so i started studying sales and marketing and that's probably around when i came across zig's material when i started studying sales in those early days and then from there i just kept studying entrepreneurship and i went through a phase in my late 20s where i was single and i couldn't get a date and at this point i had a better job by then and i had a nice little apartment and a car and i thought okay wait a minute i you know i've got the car and the apartment and i don't you know no girls will talk to me so I went and I I met a bunch of guys who were really good at, at uh, getting dates and I got to know them and I learned about, okay, how the opposite sets works. And then I got a great girlfriend and then it all came together. You know, I had studied marketing and I had studied this dating stuff and a friend of mine had put an ebook online and he showed me what he was doing. And I wrote a book of dating advice when I was 31 and I put it online and I just taught myself how to do everything. And that was the thing that took off. And, uh, and so I have kind of a past life as a dating guru. I wrote a book called W Your Dating with the pen name David D'Angelo, which is kind of you know, well known in the whole you know, dating scene. And, uh, and I grew that business for, uh, for several years, um, started hiring people, grew that business hundred percent virtually, and um, you know, got that business up over, well I mean, we did $133,000 in sales our first year. and most of that was wow. toward the end of the year. And then the next year, I'd launched an audio course. I did a seminar. The next year, we did five hundred thousand in sales. Then we did a million and a half in sales, and then five million. And I just kept growing. And uh, and I built a big team of people all over the country, all over the world. Again, one hundred percent virtual. We started having other teachers come teach relationship and dating advice. And as I was doing that, a lot of people were asking me, "Hey, Evan, how are you building this business?" And so I was just showing them how I was doing marketing. And then several of my friends started launching businesses. Teaching different topics. One of them did a business on how to uh, plan your own wedding, and another one built a business uh, teaching poker people how to play poker. And, and I watched these people go out, you know, one of them became a millionaire. And, and so I realized, okay, I need to start teaching people what I'm learning about business. Yeah. And so this is kind of the story of my life now as I go learn something and I spend a couple of years getting into it. And then I realize, gosh, other people would want to learn this. And then I make some courses and I teach it. And so I've taught entrepreneurship and marketing and productivity. And, you know, it all culminates now in, after now teaching entrepreneurship for about 10 years and also investing in several technology companies and advising them, uh, about two years ago, I realized it's probably when it came together, I was looking around all these successful people in my life and I've interviewed, you know, hundreds met and interviewed hundreds of millionaires and billionaires. And I just saw this common denominator that they're just better at opportunity. Mm. They're better at finding and selecting and creating opportunities and I think if you think about it, you look around your life at the people you know that are most successful, they're the ones that are great at finding and spotting opportunities and then making a decision. They're good at making decision about opportunity. And once I had that common denominator, it just changed the way I saw everything. I mean, Even though I had been studying this area for a long time, I uh, I really went to work on thinking about this way. And it I don't know, it just changed how I approached my life. And then I started writing this book about a year ago. I got about a year into writing this book and I just put everything that I know in there about creating opportunities, building a life that generates lots of opportunities, selecting your best opportunities.
1: So going back there, hippie parents moved to the woods. uh, You know, there was a good opportunity for you to just do the music thing and and go along. Was there a point when you realized uh, you had some drive or you wanted more than the norm or you did want more resources or more abundance? Was Was there a catalyst or did you just kind of look back and find that this just happened?
0: I mean, the catalyst was just being poor, you know, driving a lot of cars that cost two or $300 and having to change the, you know, alternators and fix right. flat tires myself and, you know, having them break down and not having nice things. And, you know, it just it was just hard. And I just made the decision. I'm going to go and uh, and figure this out. <clears throat> my first home, uh, I, was, I would buy and sell music gear. I would, my dad was a, you know, he would always go to Goodwill stores and you know, garage sales and pick things up. And so I was kind of a little bit of a horse trader. I'd buy a guitar for fifty or hundred dollars and then try to sell it for, you know, two hundred or buy some stereo equipment at a garage sale and try to sell it. And my first home, I was twenty two when I got my own place and I bought a little trailer and I traded it for fifteen hundred dollars plus a guitar that I had. Beautiful. And I moved into that thing and I was so excited to have my own pad. I remember I was happier moving into that place than any of the nice places that I have lived, you know, since it was, I was on my own. And the first month, I think the the trailer space rent was $135 and I couldn't pay the rent the first month that I moved in. I couldn't scrape together like the 135 bucks I was going to be. So I had to sell one of my guitar amps that I really liked. And I had this really nice Mason Boogie guitar amp. And I remember just being so bummed that I had to go and sell my amp. And then I thought, like, if I can't pay it the first month, how am I going to, you know, make it in my life? And, um, yeah, and I just, I remember that feeling. It stayed with me for a long time. And I just said, I don't want to ever be here anymore. Yeah. I don't want this for uh, for my life.
1: Well, similar and, uh, similar question on the, on the on, entrepreneurial, you know, standpoint of... Mm-hmm. Did you at some point decide that maybe from a wealth standpoint, you saw these wealthy people and they seemed to be in real estate that you decided, I want to be a business owner as opposed to an employee, which I would assume the majority of your peers probably were doing that. Or again, is that just, uh, it was just an opportunity that presented itself and you went forward from there. Well, if you, if you're an entrepreneur, you got
0: to kind of enjoy punishment. To truth. <laughs> <You> gotta- <laughs> The entrepreneurial path is a little bit of a glutton for punishment. Um, the rewards can be huge and they're wonderful, but you also have to try a lot of things and you have to stay with it and you have to keep going. Um, I don't think I, I didn't set out, you know, when I started, I didn't say like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to have my own business captain of my own ship. I just got a real estate license and thought realtors, you know, can make money selling. They were always driving nice cars and everything. And, um, I thought that's what I would do. You know, I thought I'd be a real estate agent. I'd make a million dollars. I would buy a little house in Oregon and everything would be fine. Mm -hmm. And uh, it didn't work out that way, you know, but fortunately I went on and I stayed with it and took me from when I started when I was 22, it took me nine years of just continuing to try things. And that was, I was 31. That was nine years later that one of them finally worked out. And it was this little book of dating advice, the most unlikely thing. It's just so not, when I talked to friends, I was just talking to a friend of mine was down here. I was like, when when you met me, did you think, like, who would have guessed that I would have, that dating advice would have been my thing? I mean, I'm a guitar player. And, you know, and then from there, who would have guessed that I would be teaching entrepreneurship and investing in companies? And it's just these really interesting adventures. I mean, getting married, having a child, I mean, that's the biggest surprise of, of all of them. But I think if you just keep going and exploring new things in life and finding new passions and, you know, trying new stuff, you have to be the beginner and you have to deal with, uh, looking kind of funny and you know a little bit of embarrassment and you know not being perfect at things, but as long as you can you know feel good about like making mistakes and getting back up and
1: staying at it, I think you can get somewhere eventually well when you look at that from music to real estate to the dating and then and then on, do you see or recognize now? a common thread in there? Aside from, you know, just business in general, but was there a common thread of what you enjoyed, what you cared about, what you wanted to impart to people, or did that also evolve to some point to where it is now?
0: When I look at those, my friend, I see emotional and psychological instability. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. There we That's go. That's really okay. what I see. I don't <laughs> No, No, not so much. Uh One thing about it is that I try to bring them all with me, you know? So, I try to take whatever I, and i I wasn't doing this intentionally, but um, you know if I learn something, I try to bring it and use it in whatever else I do you know in real estate i wasn't doing that well and then i I got a job working for a real estate training company Joe stump who you yep. who you know in fact i you know this is the way that happened i went to I was in real estate i was twenty two or twenty three and I went to one of his free half day seminars yep. and I was so astonished but I couldn't afford to buy the tapes that he was selling there you know or the seminars. And I went up and tried to talk to him at the end. And, you know, there I was with my ponytail and, you know, like it it wasn't going anywhere. And one day at the Goodwill store in Eugene, Oregon, I went in. This is like maybe a few weeks after something. And they had one of his tape sets there for a dollar. Beautiful. And I when I saw that, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I just saw this guy. This is amazing. And so I got it. And I went to my manual labor job and I used to, I work in a copper shop and I used to use this pneumatic hammer, which was very loud and I had to wear these earmuffs. And so I'd put on my earbuds and I'd stick them under there and I'd listen to these tapes over and over. And then I went back again, like a few weeks later and they had another one of his tape sets for a dollar. And so I was so stoked. Anyway, I called up this fun for you to maybe know, I called up and made friends with his telemarketers Uh and I would just call them up all the time just to talk to them. And uh, they started sending me his tapes and they'd like, you know, slip me one from like the advanced program, you know, they sent me one with Jay Abraham that I remember that was amazing. And I just listened to that uh, over and over. But the point is that, um, at one point I was like, how can I work with these guys? What could I do to work with this, this company? And eventually I was listening to the tapes and I heard that, um, they didn't sound very good. They, you know, they had a lot of low quality recordings of their live, uh, programs. And I called up the telemarketers and I was like, you know what, I could probably help you make your tapes sound better. And they said, you know what, our sound guy just quit and they put me on the phone with George. who used to run the company. Uh-huh. And I was like, hey, you know, I know how to do audio stuff because, you know, my background in music.
1: Yeah.
0: And I think I could help you with your audio. And so they had me come and do audio for one of their audio visual for one of their seminars, which I had never done, by the way. I'd never done audio visual for a seminar. I'm like, I can figure this out. Yeah. And then I helped, you know, I used what I learned in the, you know, the audio world. And then I did that. And then I took what I learned there and I used it the next thing. And I try to bring them all with me. and you know, combine them and use them together. That's a theme.
1: Well, so it's interesting because one of the questions I like to ask, don't always do it, but if, if it pertains, was there, when you look back, was there any specific big break? And I'm wondering, did that, did you just tell me what one of them was to go and call and have that opportune moment where you have an offer and they had a need? Uh, Is that a big break along the way?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm meeting Joe and then through him, I met uh, my mentor, Jerry Ballinger um, who's no longer alive? who was just an incredible human being? And that's how I got really connected up to Jay Abraham. It opened a lot of, you know, a lot of portals in, in my reality to go to work with Joe. Um, and yeah, I've, one of the things I've learned in my life, I, I, when I was on tour with a rock band, I was 18 and there were, we were I was in a Christian rock band that was from Florida, and we would go and play at schools and we would play like two or three concerts a day. And so, and this is, you know, like nineteen ninety ish, 1990. Mm-hmm. And so, imagine there's like five long-haired white guys and a black guy, and we're driving around in this truck going through the South and through the Midwest. And I mean, we just looked like a, a total circus. And um, and and we would play at all these uh, these different schools and. And at one point we were staying in these really bad hotels and like thing, it just was like, I opened up the drawer in one of my hotels cause we didn't have much money as we were touring and there was dirt. There was actually like clumps of dirt in the drawer of the hotel and like old food. And, and I said like, we got to do something. Yeah. And so I got so frustrated. I picked up the phone and I just started calling other hotels around that area and just saying like, Hey, I'm on tour with this band, you know, we're, we're doing some good would you guys give us a good deal on a hotel? And I just started dialing until I found a nice hotel that would give us a deal that we could afford. And from then on, I was, that was my job because I, I was so determined to not stay in places that had right. dirt in the drawer. And um, that there was a formative experience for me. I somehow I learned that you could just, if you really, if you wanted something bad enough, you could go and just make it happen. And, uh, that's served me pretty well, you know, with Joe and I just mentioned Joe stump here, you know, I lived in Eugene, Oregon. I was nobody, I was, you know, some long haired kid and I just called up and made friends with his telemarketers and I would send them gifts and they'd send me things. And, you know, I just got to know these people because I knew that that, that guy was a portal to success. He knew a lot about success and it turned out to be true and going to work with him and, you know, just. I mean, I didn't at at first when I went to work with him, I think that I was making four hundred dollars a month, I think when I worked for Joe. And that would involve I was like building the audio equipment, I kept it at my place, I would fly out and do an event, I'd work for like a week. And I I just I just I'll do whatever I would do whatever it takes just to get the opportunity to kind of do it. And then I I worked my way up, Um, but I, I, and I I could keep going. Another story is coming to mind right now about pursuing something I'm doing right now. Tell it, Um, tell it. Yeah. Um, This, uh, this one thing I've just learned in life that if there's something you really want, if there's something that you care about, that's important to you. If you just keep going and persist and don't stop, it might take you weeks or months. It might take you years or even decades to eventually get it. But if you don't stop and you just quietly and persistently keep going, eventually it'll usually yield. Um, I've been, my wife and I, we met at the Burning Man festival uh, almost nine years ago now, and I also found uh, visionary art, which you see on all my walls around me here, and I'm very passionate about it. I think it's the greatest art in the world, and um, I've gotten to know many of these artists in fact a visionary artist android jones did the cover of my book of opportunity which i have
1: to have right here (laughs) yes i'll I'll show you mine we can trade book covers here yes yeah
0: totally so you can see this cool picture on the cover here love it um and so after meeting these artists and collecting their art um i've started finding other artists that i like and i found this uh this uh a piece on ebay a drawing that i bought by this artist and uh, is totally unknown and then um I really liked it. I liked it a lot. And so I started researching this person and, you know, it turns out that they've died a few years ago. And then I started calling around saying like, well, I wonder if I could find any more of this, this person's art. And uh, this is kind of maybe end of last year or something, probably, I don't know, I'm going to make this up three, four, five months ago. And I just couldn't find anywhere. You know, I just couldn't, and this was an, an unknown uh, artist and I just kept calling people and, you know, every few days I'd do a little research on the internet and email someone randomly who knows about visionary art. and Everybody just said, no, 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 no. The person I had bought the piece from knew the artist, but had, it was dead. Didn't you know? Didn't have any leads for me. I eventually said, "All right, I need to find this person. Like I just need to find you know somebody in his family or something." I actually hired a, like an agency down where they came from and sent them like a few hundred dollars and said, "Can you help me?" And th- that was dead, and they didn't find anything for me. And I was you know starting to get a little bit bummed out. Um, but I just kept going and I just I made a file everything I had learned everything I knew and I kept going and going and then eventually I found somebody at an art gallery maybe a month and a half ago or something who knew him and then the person said oh yeah I've got one of his drawings too and I bought another one and then now you know this person might know other people um, the point is that when you find something that that's important to you you just it's it's not even about persistence I mean persistence kind of it it's just You just go and make it happen and you stay with it for however long it takes in order to make the thing happen. That's important to you. Um, That served me really well in my life.
1: And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. So, okay. It's interesting that you said it's not about persistence because I just wrote that down to come, to come back to. So if it's not persistence, is it just a stalwart commitment?
0: Uh my wife uh <laughs> she says it like this when she sees me doing this. Um she calls it it shall be so.
1: Okay.
0: Okay. She just says uh it shall be so. And that's the way it is for me. Like I when there's something that is important to me, um I mean there are things like in my family where you know last night my wife and my daughter and I we got into we got into a little bit of an upset and my wife was doing something with my daughter that I wasn't very happy about and you know, my You know, it's creating pressure and so forth. And I could just see that there's a pattern where she's doing something where she doesn't understand, you know, what's happening. And my wife's amazing, by the way. I'm definitely not, you know, I've learned so much from her, and she's an incredible mom. But you know how these things happen in a family. And and I just realized, oh, there's this thing. This is happening. And once she understands what this is, she'll, you know, she she won't want to do this anymore. But a lot of times in relationships we have defenses and I have this just as much as she does. Um, and you know, some defenses came up and it kind of wasn't happening, but I'm going to do it. Like, I mean, this message is going to get across at some point and it's not because I'm going to like change my wife or I'm going to make her do it or I'm going to force her or I'm going to threaten it. There's none of that. It's just, it's just something that should be so like, and I'm going to just make it so, and it feels, um, It kind of feels pretty natural to me at this point, you know, um, in the, in the book, I actually write about this idea that I think we live in a reality that's friendly to creativity, meaning that the the root word of creativity is create, that is friendly to imagining things the way you want to in your mind, and then coming out here into reality and creating what you want to create, making it the way that you would like to make it. If we look at our environments where you are, where I am and where most people are, they're all, they've all been created by humans. They were designed, architected all the, you know, the materials, the surfaces, like it's all been shaped by human beings. And more and more in the future, we're going to be doing that. And that's a key skill to have is to imagine things the way you want them and then to go and create them the way that you want them. And you don't have to have anything special to do it. You can rearrange the furniture in your room. You can just imagine it in different places and move it around. Or you can imagine a relationship being the way that you want it. Or you can imagine knowing a particular person. And uh, and once you do, you then just make it a little personal project And then again, you stick
1: with it until it's complete. So is that a key statement foundation of opportunity of this book, of this message is that reality is malleable, make it into what you want it to be.
0: Yeah. I call it the creative verse. It's a combination of the words creative and universe. And I believe that we live in a, a universe that is friendly to creativity and even further, if you look at what's happening, uh, so everything's accelerating, and I call it the great acceleration. We are in the knee of the curve of the acceleration of change, unlike anything we've ever seen in the history of the planet. And this is all fueled by technology and the internet. Ray Kurzweil talks about uh, what he calls the law of accelerating returns, where he tracked price performance increase of computers over you know 100 years, things like Moore's law. And he saw that you know, every two years, we're getting twice the performance for half the price, which is why if you think back 20 years ago, you remember that this thing, yeah. you know, was the little flip phone in your pocket with the buttons and now it's a supercomputer that's more powerful than all the computers were in the world, you know, like, I don't know, maybe 50 years ago or something like that. And, and, and when you get one of these now, you notice it's faster. Mm-hmm. Like up until recently, you didn't really notice too much of a difference. You get the new one and it's like a little better, but now you get the new one you go, wow, that's faster. And oh my gosh, it, it understands what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like this is incredible. You know, I can talk to it now I can do things for me. Well, that's going to go faster and faster and faster um, to the point where, um, you know, Ray Kurzweil believes that we're going to get to the point where we're going to extend our neocortex into the cloud. And we're going to be able to make things happen just by thinking. And, this is, I mean, if you, if you just look at the latest stuff that's happening in the last few months here, computers can actually look at, you put the cap on, computer, can look at your thoughts and make a picture of, of what you're thinking. They're to the point where now you can almost think and type and it just knows what you're thinking. This is actually happening. And, uh, you know, go fast forward five, 10 years. If you want to, when I started to design a website, I had to go buy expensive software and figure out how to work and, you know, get the thing. It would take weeks or months to get a website set up. A good friend of mine was just over um, and he's a designer and he showed me a website that he built. He said, Hey, I just went and signed up for one of these services. I got online, they have a free thing and I made this beautiful website. He showed it to me. It's got pictures. It's beautiful. And he made it in a few hours from start to finish. And if we go forward another five or 10 years, I believe we're going to be able to just like push a button and say, we're going to start designing a website and then start talking about what I want to see. I'm going to say, I want it to be blue. I want it to be a little bit lighter now, a little bit more green, Put an opt-in box over here. You know, put my picture over here. Okay, and here are the words I want. And we'll just be able to speak, and it will all be appearing in front of us. And I think that's the reality we're moving towards in the future, where we, but at the speed of thought and, and conversation, we're going to be able to create things. And then we have to practice now because we get to do it in slow motion. We get to practice in slow motion, imagining things and then create creating them. And if we're not ready for that when it comes. Those people that
1: are ready for it and that are doing it are going to have such a huge advantage it sounds amazing and it sounds as you talk it in that way. it sounds daunting it sounds godlike speaking things into life uh, I mean it, it it's it is it's a ridiculous so let's come yeah. back to opportunity here you're talking about opportunity. you wrote this book. I mean, I went through it. You've got so much in there. If you have to do, you know, the, the age old elevator pitch that gets worn out, that cliche, but if you, if you do that, I mean, from a stage, what, what with opportunity, what with this message is a primary, uh, loudspeaker that you want people to understand and recognize about opportunity.
0: Yeah. Well, our options are exploding across our lives. We have more options and more opportunities than we ever have. And they're growing exponentially. There are more options to try new foods and go new places and watch new movies and, you know, travel and to meet new people and to try new businesses and very key to learn new things. The learning landscape has changed dramatically. I think that probably over the last 10 or 15 years, we've experienced probably a 10x in learning efficiency, meaning that if you want to learn something right now, Instead of going down to the, you know, your local school or college and getting an average teacher to give you an average education, teaching an average group of people, now you can go online and you can find the best teacher. And one that matches you, who's using better teaching methods, and you can go at your own pace. And if you want to hear something over and over, you can. You want to rewind. You want to start over. You can find the niche thing that you want to learn. And so the higher quality education, the more niche, and then being able to learn from better people, this is an explosion. Again, I think that we're at like a 10x efficiency and no one's really, no one's talking about this and no one realizes, oh, I can learn 10 times more efficiently right now. You can go online to Khan Academy and get this brilliant guy who's teaching everything on there for free. I just went, look, you have, I couldn't believe this. Do you know how many people have watched Khan Academy videos? Mm -hmm. A billion and a half. Wow. Right. This is a different, this is a new thing that's going on right now. So, uh, the opportunity of education, that's a big one. I, I won't, I'll stop there, but you know, if you want to go down that rabbit hole a little bit. So, um, opportunity is exploding for all of us. Um, there's more opportunity right across more domains and it's a creative thing. It's, we can create it for ourselves, particularly because we can connect to the knowledge, the people, the ideas, the information that we want. But with all of this increase comes what I call
1: opportunity shock, right? We yeah, become, yeah. there's too much. That's exactly what I was going to ask about it, Cause it feels overwhelming. Even reading your book on one hand, incredibly inspiring. And you want to, you to know, look at it. You, you recognize it. So you're helping us recognize, become aware of it, get excited about it. But then the next thing is how do we harness it? Or I guess, you know, which ones do we do? We have a finite amount of time. So yes. uh, what you get into in the book? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So exactly. So, you know, Barry Schwartz wrote uh, the paradox of choice. He says, more choices are better. If we only have one choice, having a second choice feels amazing. It's like, oh, that's great. Having three choices. Awesome. Four or five. Great. Now I can choose between things. Six, seven, eight, nine choices, 10. Oh, wait a minute. I don't know if I want that many. Uh You know, when you go into the restaurant and you, you you know, you get the menu and there's like 10 pages of like 50 things in, oh my gosh. Right. There's at some point there's a, well, that's just, I mean, you, you ain't seen nothing yet, right? In the next few years, what's yeah. coming. So what do we have to do? Well, there are opportunity as a nature, okay? There's a whole chapter in the book on the nature of opportunity. And there are these kind of six principles that I've, uh, that I've kind of discovered slash predicted. And one of them, uh, for example, is that opportunity, the windows of opportunity are gonna open faster. They're gonna stay open for a shorter amount of time and they're gonna close faster. Hmm. So because there's more It doesn't mean that it's going to stay the same, right? So we have to be ready. Another thing is that there's more opportunity, but there are going to be a lot more small opportunities and a few big opportunities. More small opportunities, fewer big ones. Well, we want the big ones in our life. Those are the ones that we want. So we have to be ready for those and we have to be ready to make a commitment. We have to be able to decide. And so we need methods for that. Um, Inside the book, I've got a whole bunch of my favorite mental models for choosing the best opportunity and making a decision and then committing to it. We also have to be emotionally prepared for opportunity um, because in a lot of ways, if we, we shut down, it's because we're overwhelmed. We emotionally don't feel confident. We don't feel like we can you know, move forward. So we've got to learn to manage fear and we've got to learn to manage envy and jealousy and some of these other emotions that we've got. Most of us have not learned emotional skills for a business context. And, uh, and that's really important as well. And uh, we need to learn to collaborate. I mean, many of our biggest opportunities are from collaborations, when you collaborate with another person who's very different from you, you have access to opportunities that you didn't have access to before. If let's say that you're a computer programmer and you're good at programming computers, but you're not good at design, usually very different personality types are good at design versus programming. Huh. Let's say that you're a designer, but you're not very good at computer programming. Each of those has a limited kind of uh, scope of the opportunities that are available to them. But if they come together and they collaborate, and the developer does the developing and the designer does the designing, the collaboration can give them access. They can create a, a piece of software that works. They can do things that, um, that individuals can't do. And so each of us can do that as long as we learn about collaboration, what it is and how it works. And then we do it with people who are very different from us.
1: So just looking at opportunity again, overall, as we look at this and you talk about how it's ramping up, where are we... Where would you, as an expert in this field, looking at the culture, where are we possibly missing, missing it most right now? And are we at risk of missing out on, on harnessing on, uh, capitalizing yeah. on opportunity if we don't understand X?
0: Well, the, the biggest domain of opportunity probably, um, is in this knowledge domain, right in this, because we're knowledge workers, we're in a knowledge economy and, I mean, Ray Kurzweil says about the only thing that has value anymore is information. Mm-hmm. Because if we have the right education, we have the right information, then we can do whatever it is that we want to do. Right? Knowledge is power, and knowledge is now being packaged up in the form of courses, in videos. It's even in free videos that you can get value from, and so forth. And mo- but most people haven't gone and learned this skill of identifying the knowledge that they have that's valuable, and then putting it into a training or a course or a video or a book they haven't learned to organize the knowledge they have and then make it into something that other people would want to buy or that would be valuable to other people. Right. So that's one side of the equation. I think everyone really needs to learn how to do that no matter what they're doing in life is to, to package up information and teach other people, right? Learn how to teach better that if you don't have that skill, I don't, it doesn't really matter what you're doing in the future. It's going to be harder to do that thing. And the other one that I really like is coaching. And I've done this a lot. And I've learned a lot about it over the years. Um, a couple of years ago, we made a decision to uh, create a whole course on coaching. And in, in doing that, I learned so much. Um, I define coaching as supporting another person through a transition in their life. Hmm. Okay. So coaching is supporting another human being as they're going through a transition. And we're all going through more transitions in our lives because everything's accelerating. and If you just if you if you see the other dynamic too, also in you know, we have social media. So instead of having friends, we have social media, right? I call it anti-social media. Mm -hmm. So with with this, you got more of a barrier, but it's taking more of your time, and then you have less support from the people that you care about. So as you're going through the transitions in your life, in your personal life, in your business, with your family, with your health, moving, jobs, whatever, when you're going through the transition, that's when you need the support of your friends, but you don't have it because we're more separated from each other. And so I think this is one of the things that's fueling the rise of coaching is coaching is essentially being a professional friend in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways. And you learn the skills of supporting another person, understanding what they're trying to do, helping them clarify, but then letting them do it, which is harder than doing it for them. Paradoxically, right. letting them do it and then supporting them, holding them accountable. And, I would say these two areas, these are my favorite areas. When people ask me, like, what kind of business should I start? Or I want to be an entrepreneur. I say, try one of these. You know, start, be a coach. You know, you can get started for very little money. You learn so many valuable skills. And with entrepreneurship, because when you try a business, right, maybe only one in four or five of them works out the way that you want it to, you want to try businesses and learn things that the skills are going to come with you and make you more successful through the rest of your life, you know, anyway. And so, and I also think that marketing is another key skill that we have to learn, you know, how to find customers and get them to buy stuff from you.
1: Right. Now, this is the literacy of the online future. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm curious now uh, to come back to coaching because that's where I was headed because you're talking about knowledge and I mean, I've lived my life here in the personal development world and I hear you testifying to you know, the power of knowledge, the increase in it. And that's great. I have personal heartburn though, for even my own role in this and putting it out. But are people actually benefiting? Is it t- just tickling in their ears? Is it just entertainment? Is it, you know, hopeful stuff to hear, but are they actually doing something with it? I was going to ask you about that, but you already came in and said, you want people to package it better, teach it better. And then the coaching aspect specifically, and you use the word doing to help them actually do something with that knowledge. And that feels like a responsibility because you know, as well as I do, you can make a lot of money by pumping out knowledge left and right over and over day in and day out. And yet at the end of the day though, did somebody actually harness it? Did they use it?
0: Did they change It's, it? it's one of the tragedies, you know, to me, it's one of the tragedies in my life and my business. Um, fortunately, you know, I think we teach really high quality stuff and we have so many success stories and I'm very blessed that wherever I move around our industry, people have been influenced by me. And, you know, I, I I know that our, our, uh, our materials benefit a lot of people, but uh, unfortunately a lot of people, you know, they just, they buy the course and they don't do anything with it or they don't even go in, you know, and that, that's tough when that happens. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So looking at opportunity now, I just want to ask you from, I mean, you're looking at this big wide world and all the knowledge that's out there. And you said, when you have people ask you, you know, where to get into that knowledge and coaching is a great place to, but when we look at opportunity one, yeah. I know it's the wrong question to ask. Okay, Evan, tell me, you know, what's a great opportunity for me? And you're going to say, well, I don't know you. So obviously it has some personal yeah. aspect, but I, I would love you. Cause I mean, who doesn't want to know from where your standpoint is looking at opportunity. You've written the book now that as you look out there and you're seeing these cultural phenomenons happen. You're seeing these trends happen that granted, we all have to know our own skills, talents, abilities, giftings before we jump into anything. But where do you see? So I'm like some specific industry, some specific areas where you see, man, there's just going to be more and more. Well, I'll ask you both sides, more and more opportunity here and probably less over here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know it's a big question. Uh,
0: No, no, it's, it's a good one. Um, I'll, I'll speculate here. Um, You know, warning, uh, use this information at your own risk, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I mentioned Ray Kurzweil, Uh, you know, many years ago, I started reading books uh, by futurists, like books like mega trends and, you know, techno trends and some of these things. And uh, and I realized that futurists were really onto something. They're really onto something. Like if you would have gotten a book by a futurist 10 or 20 years ago and read it, and then seeing what they were talking about, and then said, Okay, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to work in one of these fields, or I'm gonna go try to start something here, or I'm gonna go learn about this industry, you'd probably be in a pretty good place because they were seeing what was going to happen in the future. And what most people do is they make decisions about what's happening now or mm-hmm. what happened in the past, and then they, you know, then they they put their past in their future, as Werner Earhart says, and yeah. that that doesn't work out that well. Um so uh, in the last few years, I've really been studying futurism. I've got a project uh, that I'm working on right now in futurism, and uh, it's been it's been important to me to, to watch futurism and watch futuristic futuristic trends. So if you um, you, know, you can just start reading things like TechCrunch, you know, and or like uh, sign up for Peter Diamandis' newsletter and just start like looking at go to some of the trend websites, and what you'll see is there are areas where people are investing and where venture capitalists are investing. I mean, right now, you know, on the technological side, things like artificial intelligence and robotics and nanotechnology and software in general and computers, like these are very high growth and they're a huge deal. They're big, big, big industries to get into, um, on uh, on a little bit more edgy kind of side, if you look at things like cryptocurrency and the marijuana industry, like these are very edgy, very high risk, you know, very likely to uh, have issues. But also, billionaires are being made in these these places uh, very quickly, and that's one of the things. And, and I write about this in the book is that you find an opportunity, the like big growth opportunity at the edges. And the edges, I mean, at like the edge of culture and sometimes even at the edge of like legality in a lot of ways. You know, if you look at Uber, um, you know, an amazingly innovative, and very successful global uh, company. Right. Well, I think largest private companies in the world or something along the, these wow. uh, these lines. Um, or maybe it's the largest venture funded private company. Anyway, it's, you know, 60 or 70 billion dollar valuation company. Um, they're having all kinds of trouble. You know, they they weren't legal in a lot of the cities they went into. And the cities like said, hey, that's illegal for you to be doing that. You know, the cab drivers, whatever. And they just said, hey, look, this is what people want here. This is actually better for humans. And this is what everybody asks for. So we're just going to keep going and we'll pay the fine. You know, and yeah. then then the, then they, the laws change to kind of catch up with, with this. So. Big like business and growth opportunities and financial opportunities oftentimes you're you're dealing with kind of the edges of things and you 've got to take a little more risk and you 've got to be a little bit more um, have a little more courage uh, to do these things uh, but yeah, read about futurism, study some of the trends and where things are going because there's so many exciting things happen happening, and they're all they're all converging and they all touch each other in different ways they all influence each other um, you know when social media showed up. Everybody said, oh, what's that? But you know what? That's impacting all these different industries. And if you're not using it for advertising or other things, you're kind of locked out uh, in a lot of ways. Um, So, yeah, that's a short answer.
1: Well, and and I'm, you know, I mentioned a little bit about, of course, we've all got to audit somewhat our gifts, talents, abilities, and and whatnot. And I know you talk about in the book, some more of, I don't think this is your word, but, but my paraphrasing, you know, how does the average person, I mean, we've got a, we've got a a group right here, the Ziggler show in the podcast arena overall, these are aspiring people. These are people who know there's opportunity. They're people who see opportunity. And some of them uh, may have a couple, a lot of them feel like I got too many ideas. And they want to understand what that filter is for them, because on the side of taking action is generally risk, risk of your finances, your time, your spouse, your your whatever, yep. all those issues. So from a, a low level in that standpoint, where can you just give the audience here a little bit of fodder for just some high level filtering sure. mechanisms?
0: the number one thing to to kind of address that that I would recommend is most people haven't invested enough time. Learning about their own personality. Actually learning who they are. And there are a lot of great personality tests and systems out there. Things like the Myers-Briggs type indicator or the Colby or the even the Enneagram is kind of woo-woo, but really profound, you know, or the disk or the Strengths Finder. There are a few of these. You can just go look up personality tests. I really like the Myers-Briggs personality type indicator, the MBTI. You can take free tests online for a lot of these. You can find free Myers-Briggs tests. And then it gives you back an analysis and it tells you about your personality. And then you can go learn about other people and their personalities. The five love languages, that mm-hmm. one is great. Mm-hmm. Okay, for for this, because it it brings in a, a whole other like a relationship kind of element. But take a few personality tests and then look at what they say about you. And then read up on all the different... So if you take a Myers-Briggs personality type indicator, and let's say that it says that you're an extroverted sensing thinking judger, there's four pairs of things, and it says you're an ESTJ, well, then go and read up about what that means. Go read, you know, spend an hour reading all the different websites that talk about that personality type. Go look up your spouse or your partner, have them take the test, and then go look up their personality type. And then go look up the, the websites that show how those two personality types interact And then you'll start seeing yourself and you'll realize, oh my gosh, yeah, that is me. And that is my pattern. And then it'll tell you what types of careers are great for these types of people. And then you can go and say, you know what, that would be an interesting thing. And then you can go learn something about that. You can learn about how to interact with other people. I really feel like studying your personality and learning about what makes you unique, what your unique gifts are, and then going and developing those and going and finding other people that are of that type or groups of people where that type hangs out or, um, you know, communities or um, masterminds or meetups or online uh, uh, forums where those people go and hang out and are interested in something. Um, Go learn more about your personality and what people like you are great at. And then within that, you can find your own little universe. You know, you can find your own little niche where you can do something. But if you don't know what you're great at, if you don't understand what makes you unique and your unique way of seeing the world. It's very hard to then go and do anything proactively or to recognize whether something's an opportunity for you. Once you understand your personality better and other people's personalities, and then you understand who, like what you could be when you grow up, like your real potential Mm -hmm. of success and contribution and, uh, and collaboration, you don't have a way to judge an opportunity because you don't know whether it's a good one for you or if it's going to help you move on your own path. Um, I was reading uh, in a book, some research that said that um, our brains, right? We have all these different brain centers. We have like a visual cortex and we have a, you know, a language center and we have all these different uh, centers that they're very different sizes in different people. There's a lot of variability in the sizes. So like, you know, you might have a visual cortex that's like 50% bigger than mine, or I might have a language center that's, you know, 30% smaller than yours. When you put all those different sizes together, that's part of what makes us unique. It's how we have these different personalities. And if you don't realize that your unique personality has can see the world in a way that everybody else can't, if you haven't really gotten, you know how like you see things in life, you're walking through life, you're talking to your family or your friends or you're at work and you can just see, maybe you're better at organizing things than other people and you can see they don't understand. Or maybe you're better at analyzing numbers or maybe you're better at keeping track of things or you know, imagining a list of to-dos or remembering stuff or you're know, taking things apart and putting them back together or fixing the computer. There, there's something that you're really good at and that's because you see the world in a unique way. You're the only one that sees it in exactly that way. And the more you get that and that you get that you're like a, you're like a, a searchlight relative to others, that other people are in the dark and that you can teach other people this and you can create knowledge and you can create um, education that can really help lots of people. But you got to know that you're special and you got to know how. And I feel like the personality type stuff really helps with that.
1: You've got me enamored with the different size brain cortex areas. I got a buddy who does qualitative EEGs and I'm thinking, I wonder if he can look in there because how cool would that be to give me proof to say, I have really great visual and language processing skills. My math stinks because I have no cortex at all there. Uh, it'd be interesting. I got to follow up on that. Well, I, I want to ask specifically what you just talked about in regards to entrepreneurs, because looking at our personality styles, and you've been involved in a lot of different businesses. I've been a lot, uh, involved in a lot. I am now I'm going into one now. Where I feel like that's not, it's an alternative health insurance product. And it's not my health insurance really. I have no, uh, no uh, part in that, but I do as far as what the product's going to deliver. And I know my role in it. So when you look at entrepreneurship specifically and you're understanding yourself and what your propensities are, do you, I haven't, and I haven't thought about this for myself. I'm thinking about it out loud with you and I'll, but I'll put it on you to answer, uh, is, you know, do you look at that one and engage, engage it in regards to what type of a business you would go into one, but then also what type of a role? Cause I don't know if I would put what I'm, what I'm made up of in some of the businesses in and of themselves, but in my role, I can, uh, specifically, but how do you, again, you're left with, we've got all these entrepreneurs out here in the audience right now who can look at that and go, okay, should I choose what exactly type of business I go into or just know my role within it based upon my personality style?
0: Well, when you take the personality tests, um, they tell you different types of roles that are good for you, like what you'll probably be good at. And it's yeah. good to go try them out, you know, expose yourself to different things. Yeah. Uh, you know, an answer that comes up for me, um, I recommend that each of us, around once a year, start a new passion project. Okay, so a passion project would mean some new area of reality or life or some new interest that's very different from the things that you've done in the past. Okay? So it's got to be very different from the other things that you've done. And what you do is you make a decision, okay, this is going to be my passion project. I'm going to go learn about this. I'm going to go play with it. I'm going to study it. I'm going to just, you know, get involved in some way so that I can uh, follow my passion here, right? And if you do this, it's probably good to do it at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're making your new, new year's resolution, you got that energy and everyone's starting new things and go get a couple of books, you know, maybe take a course, watch some videos, go online and find the forum where people are hanging out and talking about this thing. Make some friends, join some social media groups, go to the meetup locally, maybe go to the convention, wherever that is on that particular topic. And if it's something that you're really interested in, like you're genuinely interested in it and you want to learn about it, and then you find other people who are just genuinely interested in it and passionate about it and they want to learn about it and you're hanging out and sharing ideas then you maybe start a project of some kind, and it could be a simple project. It could be to you know, maybe just get a meetup together, or it could be uh, to create a course online where you teach, or maybe it could be to create a white paper or a product, or maybe you build something together. But you go to work with some other people doing something in that area. At first, it's more like a, um, you know, just something that you do for fun. And here's the key. You don't know how it's going to turn out. You don't make the decision it's going to be a business or it's going to be a philanthropy or it's going to be a hobby or whatever. You just go into it to get into it, and then once it gets some traction and you do something with your group and you see that there's you know maybe something that this could turn into, then you make a decision. You know what? Let's make a product and let's try to sell it. You know, or let's just do this as a philanthropy. Let's just give it away, or let's have an interest group, or let's have a hobby. You know, let's get a group of people together and let's all study this hobby. And if you do that, maybe once a year some of those will turn into businesses. Some of them will turn into just contribution projects. Some of them will turn into hobbies. But if you keep doing this, and again, different, very different, it has to be unique. Some new area that you you haven't uh, learned about before, you will keep learning. You'll meet new diverse people from other worlds. You'll build an opportunity network. You'll be able to see between different domains. And that's where you really start seeing opportunities that are unique to you, where you could do something that is the intersection of a few different things. And you're the only one there because they were your passion projects. And again, you know, some of them will turn into successful businesses um, and uh, and things that will be really fulfilling. And I,
1: th- I feel like that's, that would be like a path to building a fulfilling life. Absolutely. Well, when you look here again, just at opportunity and you've got this book, you've got this message, and we're speaking to a big audience here, what is a, with you being, you're the opportunity evangelist, you're the advocate. What's a good perspective. If you have to give a paradigm shift or some lenses to look through for all of us that you would say, this will help you having this type of a mindset will help foster more opportunities help you see more opportunities that are out there that you may be missing currently. Right. Well, Wayne Dyer, he said, you'll see it when you believe it.
0: Right. And part of what I'm trying to do with uh, the book and why I work so hard on it is the book is a mindset shift that I'm, I'm trying to transmit what's in here into there. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to beam the ideas into your head so that when you think, you think differently. When you move through reality and you look at things, you see them differently. And I will just guarantee you that if you read this book, you won't be able to see things the same way anymore. Nothing will appear exactly the way that was and you'll see opportunities all around you that you didn't see and you'll be able to, um, uh, estimate them and, and, and judge them and compare them to each other and make decisions on them in ways that you couldn't before. And a lot of it will be more, uh, more automatic. And so you have to get the mindset. You have to believe it. You have to do what it takes to be able to find and see and create opportunities because then once you do, you become, I think a little bit more abundant in your thinking, you become uh, more optimistic. Uh, it, you have to work a little bit harder because now you have to make decisions between these things. You know, as uh, you know, as I say, more money, more problems. Um, as you as you experience more success in your life, that brings other challenges. But what I've also found is that if you don't have increasing challenges in your life, then life's actually not that interesting. It's yeah. not that fun. Um, you know, my family, my wife, and my daughter. This is the hardest thing that I have ever done by a long shot. And we've been traveling a lot the last few years, last three, four years, we've been traveling more than six months. We go live in all these different places. And I mean, it's cool. And it's, you know, it's a fun romantic lifestyle, but it's hard. It is the hardest. I mean, you know, they say travel with someone if you want to know if you're compatible with them um, because you'll get into a lot of conflict and stress and things. Um, Challenge yourself, challenge, Sign up for challenges that are more and bigger and that really push you to to your edge I mean this book I still can't believe that I I took on the challenge of writing a book that I was really going to write for a long time It was hard. It was very challenging to do this But now that i'm done There's a I mean, I I literally I just finished the last final touches on this book about two weeks ago like just the final piece and there was a. uh, I am never going to write another book for uh, the rest of my life. Like I am just done with that. It's yeah. over. That sucked. And then after a few days, you know, and I started showing it to a few people and people started coming back and reading it and saying, man, I mean, this is great. You know, I read the whole thing and you know, my wife said, I'm really proud of you. And then, you know, I got the physical copy and I started looking through it and I was like, you know what? This isn't too bad. Maybe I should write <laughs> another book <laughs> and you know, and I'm crazy, but there, so there's something to that, you know, it's, It's like if at the end of the day you're tired, if you're tired because you didn't do anything, it's a totally different kind of tired than it's tired because you did everything. You know, the second kind is a satisfying kind of tired where you like you go to sleep and you sleep really deeply and you sleep really well. The first kind is like, I'm just tired of being tired and, uh, you know, challenge yourself, put yourself into situations that you can't escape from that force you to grow physically, to grow in success, to grow emotionally, to grow in relationships, to grow as a a learning being, to grow in your purpose, force yourself to do it. And then when you do, I mean, don't go jump off a cliff or like do something that's crazy or, you know, too dangerous, incremental challenges, but, you know, making yourself do things and setting the conditions so that you have to cope. Nathaniel Brandon, who I, I, you know, very influenced by, I was fortunate enough to know him when he was alive. He's the father of self esteem. You know, he said, self esteem is your confidence in your ability to face the challenges, to cope with the challenges that life throws at you. If you have self esteem, then you're confident that you can deal with what comes your way. If you don't have self esteem, then you're not confident about the future. He also said that self esteem is uh, feeling that you deserve happiness. If you increase your challenges, in different domains, you have to do it in the places where you wouldn't normally do it. So, if you're socially awkward, challenge yourself to go and meet people and to have relationships. If you're financially, you know, challenged, <laughs> financially challenged, go challenge yourself financially. Go, yeah. you know, go learn about investing or, you know, go learn something. If uh, you, you find yourself stagnant, you're not learning stuff. Go read some books about how to learn and go challenge yourself in learning. But as you do this, and then you see yourself cope, and you have to when you're forced to. And then you do it. That's what builds self-esteem. That's what has you feel like, okay, I can do this. I'll tell you. I mean, I, I didn't think I was going to get married. I didn't think I was going to have a child. Uh, as I said, and uh, this has been extremely emotionally challenging for me because when you're dealing with, you know, not just one person that's maybe upset, but there are two of them, and there's nowhere to go. You can't. There's no escaping from this one because the only escape is like I'm leaving. And I'm not leaving my family. I'm with this family for the rest of my life. We are staying together. We're going to figure this out. Even though in the moment I feel like, no, oh, I'm leaving. I'm, you know, this this sucks. What am I? What, what am I doing here? When you and then you, you know, you come back from it and you realize, oh no, 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 wait a minute. I've got some emotional growth to do here. That means that I, I need to learn how to cope emotionally. I need to do some self regulation. And then you go through that. I mean, it's. I've been with my wife for coming up on nine years. It's only been the last maybe year or two in the last year in a lot of ways, where when I do get triggered or we get upset or we get in a fight about something and then I come back and I I know that I can cope where I just have this knowing, even if I'm upset, where I say, no, I'm going to be okay through this. And in fact, you know what, I'm going to learn something from this and we're going to be better. We're going to come out of this stronger. And gosh, it's building self-esteem, You know, it's a, it's a worthwhile
1: investment in all domains of life. I love that statement, building self-esteem, believing you deserve happiness. Okay. I'm sure like myself, you are amped up about the opportunities in your life. Again, get Evan Pagan's new book, Opportunity at zigshow.com slash Evan, E-B-E-N. You get the hard copy, the bonuses of his best opportunities of 2018 live workshop, the video series that shows you how to find your big idea, and the opportunity discovery checklist exercises and bonus chapters, all free. You just pay the shipping. Again, go to slash Eben, E B E N. Hey, if you got value from the show, please let us know, leave a review in iTunes, and then email us at thanks at com. And tell us your iTunes username so we can thank you by sending you Zig Ziglar and Tom Ziglar's book, Born to Win, an actual hard copy. Let me tell you real quick about a great resource, then I'll fill you in on the next show. Coming up next in show 568, we hear a three-minute heartfelt message from Zig Ziglar on faith, But it's not just a sermon. He's hitting on the reality of how faith impacts our literal lives. From it, I asked on Facebook, where you can join the discussion that we have every week. Just friend me at Agent K Miller. And I asked this question, though. How has your faith in God or a higher calling tangibly benefited your physical, physical, financial or career slash business success? That's a big question. You're going to want to hear what people had to say about it. Tune in then. Till then, thank you for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.